BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy, Joel Ortiz, and I want everybody to make sure that they subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einenko. Yo, Tim, I hope all is well. You my guy. I know these interviews are not interviews. They're actually conversations, and I appreciate them all. Yeah, well. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ice-T. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews. With Tim I and Cal. It is official. All right? Stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library Rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It's cold. I was given powers beyond the average imagination. But peep this, what I saw next left me speechless. In heaven, everyone has the same level of uniqueness. In heaven, there's no greed, no need for worldly things. No diamond studded rings, peasants become kings. I don't know about you all, but this is where I've got to live. Where men and women don't have to be so provocative and live as... Pushes their cool and hip-hop concepts constantly and is one of the best to do it. Last Emperor, welcome to Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Anikel. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Tom. Just suns, moons, and stars. Reunited with the universal family The man in me can't wait for heaven To fulfill my wildest fantasies As I search for better days And praise the number seven When I get to heaven So I want to start from, obviously, uh, uh, you know, uh, towards the beginning of your career You know, in, in 97 you signed with Dr. J's Aftermath You got signed uh, Where were you exactly in your career when that happened? And, you know, there's always like What was the hope, I guess Or what was your goal in terms of this signing with Afterman and what do you think it was going to do for the career at the time? Yeah, at that time um 97 we're 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 talking about me being uh I'm 2 years out of Lincoln University uh where I studied political science and international relations um and kind of during the course of study and even a little bit before that, really through my teenage years, just always playing around with rhyming and, you know, writing rhymes and, and rapping for my friends locally in the neighborhood. So I can't even really say I had really a career prior to that. It just was a hobby and a childhood pastime that, you know, I kind of got better and better at as time progressed. So... Um, while I was at Lincoln University, I did a bunch of talent shows. Um, a good friend of mine, you know, my homie, my brother, my comrade Q from Brownsville, Brooklyn, 
um, he was also in the political science program, and we 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 grew um, a brotherhood and an, and an attachment to each other. And after one of the the talent shows went over really well on campus, and I was kind of like known as like, yo, he's the rapper on this on this yard. He's the he's that dude on this campus. So. Uh, my homie Q approached me and was like, yo, man, you really need to do something with this, you know, above and beyond just being a being a hobby. So uh, we made a demo, uh, went to a gentleman out of South Jersey named Tyke, made a demo. Uh, another uh, gentleman who went to Lincoln University named Dame Dollars took that demo with him once he got out of Lincoln University out to the West Coast because his brother worked on videos um, with Dr. Dre, Geronimo Films was the name of the company, and uh, the, he took the he took the demo tape and out there, and you know the rest is history, as they say. Uh, I was listening to uh, a track by you, which is a uh, uh, apologize, slipping my mind, but uh, in the track you mentioned um, you mentioned how you were you were prior to the aftermath signing, and and be I think even also like being in uh, Dr. Dre's studio that. You were you you are and you were um, a, a battle rapper. Can you talk more about that? I guess the scene for you when you were coming up in terms of uh, not just rhyming to rhyme, but rhyming to battle as well. I grew up uh, in the Cobb Creek section of West Philadelphia, born and raised as as they say, as Mister Smith says. Went to uh, Overbrook High School, the same high school as Will Smith as Wilt Chamberlain, as uh, DJ Miz, as the Youngsters, as uh, Guy Bluford, who was the first uh, uh, black, I think, black astronaut at NASA. Um, so that's the sort of demographic or neighborhood that I'm coming from. Um, definitely having been ravaged with, um, you know, the, the, the typical drugs and, and poverty. And, you know, I saw all of that firsthand. You know, I know what it's like to be in the streets and, you know, have to uh, survive. Um, but all through that, hip hop and, you know, rap music have been literally the soundtrack of my life, you know. And I remember when there was no hip hop or rap music. So, you know, I saw it usher in as just this very vibrant thing that was just going on out in the, in the community at the park. You know, um, we had a gentleman uh, named Bobby Dance who would throw uh, parties at the 52nd Street YMCA is like 10 minutes from where I live. So, you know, all through those years, you honed a particular craft. Now, some people, you know, I, I, I pretty much dabbled at all the different uh, pillars or elements of hip hop, you know, the graffiti, you know, I got a pretty nice, uh, tag, a pretty nice hand to this day. Um, I tried to DJ, I didn't have equipment, but a friend of mine who was a DJ would let, would show me certain things, how to cut, scratch, mix, and all of that. Um, definitely b-boying or break dancing as they call it. I tried my hand in that. Um, so definitely, um, well-rounded, just um, it was something fun. Before it became a commodity, it was just something that we did as young, you know, uh, black people, young people in the hood, you know, wanting to be artistic, but not having the formal tools to be artistic with. We made art out of what we had. So um, with that being said, I remember being, you know, writing my first rhymes, like probably like around 11 or 12 
Yeah, because we're talking like probably like 83, 84. So I just got, I, I was good at it. And a key thing is my vocabulary was probably a little more advanced than some of my peers who were my age because educational, even though I grew up in a household where, you know, we were you're somewhat impoverished from time to time, education was like the thing. You know, my mother would read to me. She would make me read. She was a voracious reader. She made me a voracious reader um, of everything from comic books to Hamlet and everything in between. So once the older guys in the neighborhood found out that I could rhyme, I became somewhat of a novelty. This little kid that's like, you know, able to go toe to toe lyrically with like anybody in the neighborhood. So they would take me from street to street, from block to block to battle guys that were sometimes my age, but more than often older than me. And some of these guys were, you know, for lack of a better term, the hustlers or the guys who were getting money in the street. So they would put money. There's a couple of times they put money up and, um, you know, that became the incentive for me to to just hone my craft on that note. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes it was in some dangerous circumstances or situations, but that's pretty much how the battle thing started. Just local guys encouraging me that realized I had a particular gift. Uh, you talk about, yeah, I remember coming up and, and um, you know, I remember, you know, hip hop wasn't the popular thing right and you know, like I tell people about stories about how New York City radio would make a point you know with their liners like you know an absolutely no rap music you know and nowadays that, exactly. that would be kicked out you know that would, they would be laughed at if someone ever suggested that for a radio um, and you mentioned how you you know you, you went to college you, you majored in political science um, so why I guess why the college? Why well, for you? Why the college route in term uh, instead of just like all right? Let me just you know, school's not for me. Let me just focus solely on the art form. Yeah, when I got out of uh, Overbrook, I did take a year off to just like work. I worked at like a couple of um, restaurants and things of that nature. I mean, I knew I wanted to continue with my education, but at that point, I was a little. Um, a little tired of just always studying because I was like a really, really studious dude, even though I sometimes dabbled in like the street stuff. Learning is, was always just fun for me. Like it just wasn't tedious. It just was fun. So, but I did go through a period where I got tired and during that period I wrote, definitely got a lot of writing done. And, you know, so we're talking like, um, 1989 going into 1990. So, um, you know, my, my mom definitely encouraged me to, you know, not let my, my you know, to, she always encouraged my talent. She always supported me rhyming and being a part of hip hop. That's one thing, you know, I have to always credit her, her you know, her, mem you know, her memory to, um, with actually, um, is that she always supported what I was doing lyrically, but definitely wanted me to, you know, continue my education as well. So, she just suggested, like, I didn't even apply to, like, a lot of, a bunch of colleges. It just was like, okay, Lincoln University is touted as the oldest HBCU, which is a historically black college or university. Um, it's had people from the likes of Langston Hughes um, attend to um, 
Thurgood Marshall, the first black Supreme Court uh, justice, to um, um, a lot, a lot of different luminaries um, in both the uh, political and artistic world. So, you know, I just got that nudge, like, yo, this is just a natural progression. Like, you can still do whatever you're going to do, you know, with your art, but you know, maybe even find ways to expand that going to going to this college. And it very much did that for me because, I mean, I had, um, you know, friends from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds. I just give you an example on campus. Um, one day, I think I'm like a freshman, actually, and I'm walking to the, you know, the sub, as we called it then. It was like the student cafeteria. And it's, I think, the end of toward the end of the year. So it's like borderline spring and people are out and about and all that. So I'm walking into the sub and I see True Goy from De La Soul sitting on, on the bench, just, just, just chilling. Just like, you know, like he, you would think he was a student there <laughs> because it was like, he was like so unassuming, you know what I mean? Um, so that's just one example. Um, fast forward a, a few years later and, uh, you know, uh, a, a good friend of mine, a good female friend of mine brings Shaheen the Rugged Child up there to, oh, wow. you know, to hang out for a couple of days. So, I mean, and these are just two names. Um, during that time, there was a, a, a somewhat of an explosion of awareness in terms of hip-hop artists um, in conjunction with uh, HBCUs. So, it was un- it was not uncommon for me to talk to even some of my other homies who went to other places like Morgan State. Um, I think you even hear the Rizzo on certain records shout out Morgan um, State and uh, you know places like that. So definitely, man. When I went to Lincoln, it was it was not hip hop. It wasn't uh, actual. Uh, I didn't have an actual uh, syllabus. I didn't have a, an actual course study, but it was like an unofficial course study because I was always picking the brains of people from other regions um, about what they liked in terms of hip hop. So it gave me a very well-rounded view and also made me the sort of writer who wanted to, to, a, to how shall I say, um, to just come with something fresh that everybody could enjoy no matter where they were from. Is... I, I mean, I guess is having that having the the, the college education and the degree and 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 also learning from much of hip hop heads. Um, is that where I, I, I was wondering the 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 you know you, you read up on how you know the, the deal with aftermath didn't work out and you walked you ended up walking away from that right. And you know, you think you right. just think just from just from a you know, for me from a fan point of view, being like, wow, that's like a that's a big deal. I mean, you know, walking away from Doctor Dre, I guess you could say, right? Um, is that? I mean, just just kind of having. I mean, where does that come from? That I guess that, that the confidence that uh, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm I, it's just you know, it's not working out mutually. Just you know, it's, we we you know, the, the deal's off. I guess where does that confidence come from versus feeling like this is this is my one shot? I I I, I got to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have to be I have to be uh, totally transparent. There was a little a little splash of wow, this was my one shot, and I kind of didn't make it happen. It didn't pop, and you know, I, I went through a, a a slight period of feeling a little bit like you know my my chance had had been. Uh, 
my dream had been deferred for lack <laughs> right. of a better term but you know what I come from an era where it was just all about being fresh and having a reputation in the community and so from all those years of doing open mic nights uh, you know talent shows uh, street festivals you name it hole in the wall clubs where people might be get shot I mean all of those things just made me gave me a reputation and I always knew that I wanted to be the sort of MC whose reputation preceded them like before I knew what Big Daddy Kane looked like I kept hearing about this dude who had battled like uh, a local artist here named Jazz Fresh who was like one of the illest MCs out of South Philly here he battled Big Daddy Kane before records. This is pre Long Live the Kane. But I kept hearing about this dude. So then when I when I heard Raw, um no, I think Get Into It was the first record that Lady B played. So I was like, yo, this this dude is like is this is next level. So his reputation was already already buzzing before he became, you know, the the platinum selling artist or whatever the case may be. The same thing with the notorious BIG. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity. I heard his demo before he even had a record out. But I credit that to a friend of mine who, um, you know, when you hear Chubb Rock and want, and treat him right, he has a line that says something about kids on St. James between Gates and Green. Well, this friend of mine, um, my man is, my man Marlon, he went to Lincoln University as well. And he was kind of cool with, he was friends with Biggie. So he brought the demo tape up there before the, the album ever came out and I was just blown away. And so it just like it circulated like wildfire on our campus, it went other places. So Biggie gained notoriety in local communities before he even sold one record. Same thing with Redman. You know, I heard that famous um, uh, freestyle that he does with, he did with Biz Markie at Monticello Park out in Queens and this was before he had any records out but I and I was blown away so I mean I wanted to pattern myself in that fashion so when the whole Dr. Dre thing didn't pan out yeah it hurt a little bit and it was a little embarrassing to come back to the hood after all my friends knew that I got a, a record contract and you know I was going to be living large as some of them thought but I already had that reputation. People knew, yo, when you hear, oh, Last Emperor, you may say a lot of things, but in conjunction with that title, but one thing you're going to say is, yo, that guy gets busy. He's an MC. He's lyrical. He paints pictures, whatever the accolades may be. But I just wanted to make sure that that mission was complete. So, yeah, man, the Drake thing, you know, it is what it is. You know, I respect him. You know, I got nothing but love for him because while I was there, he was really, he was, he, you know, we kicked it, man, for a minute. And it, it was sad that it didn't pan out the way it could have. But um, I, I still got a lot of respect for the dude. So is that how the, uh, I mean, with the, uh, you, you went independent for a year and then, and then you ended up signing with uh, Raucous Records. Um, how did that connection happen? And, 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 you know, I remember, you know, Ruckus because, Ruckus because, um, like for me, it was just like someone introducing me to uh, Black Star's first album, right? And then going down the kind of that rabbit that rabbit hole um, of artists, you know, and, and and music and stuff like that. Um, 
did what was the significance for you and maybe even for for larger hip hop uh for of rocket rockers records at the time I would have to say the lyricist lounge mm. um all those dudes over there at the lyricist lounge Danny Castro um and um uh at that time blue was running with them uh you know um uh, wise all of those guys Perry um collage projects in general um they gave me a format to show New York City the mecca of hip hop that the last imp is here he's coming he gets busy you know he's you know worthy of being in the same room as the other people that um frequented the lyricist lounge so I am forever indebted to the lyricist lounge for giving me that platform. You know, I remember the first night, I think it may have been like 90 winter or 96 actually, um, that I first performed there. And, you know, of course, like, I'm thinking like, yo, this is New York city, you know, <laughs> as they say, if I can't make it here, I can't make it. If, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. You know what I mean? So, um, but the thing is, you know, I come from a rough, tough city too, you know? So I was kind of prepared like, yo, let me just go out here do what I do. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, oh, well. So um, I, I just remember performing, you know, three or four songs off the demo and just really being received very, very well. And the, the, the litmus test for that, in my opinion, and knowing that I performed well was having people that I grew up listening to and admiring their craftsmanship come to me and say, yo, you're dope. Sometimes that's all you need. Oh, you know, so I people like Master Ace coming to me like, yo, you're dope. Craig G coming to me like, yo, you're dope. You know, um, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Cellar Dwellers, um, you know, Smith and Wesson. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I could ramble off, you know, tons of names, but just people that I grew up respecting lyrically and respecting their movements coming to me and saying, yo, brother, we, we, we really like what you got going on. Welcome. You know what I mean? And that that's pretty much what it was, the Lyricist Lounge. You know, they gave me that that ability to rub shoulders and, and you know, with the, the, the great luminaries of hip-hop at that time. Now, at that time, I'm starting out performing uh, uh, Black Stars beginning. You know, I remember them. You know, I've, I've been done shows, tons of shows with them before they had records out. Um, definitely, uh, you know, um, Dead Prez. I remember what really what stands out in my mind is there were like two groups that were really making noise when I came through. Myself and Dead Prez. You know, so it was like it was really fun to see all of these talented individuals at their inception. You know what I mean? People like Thurston Howell III. You know what I mean? Um, just the level of creativity that the Lyricist Lounge generated um, gave me the ability to already develop somewhat of a, rep uh, a rapport with Raucous Records. Because again, some of the names that I've mentioned have had relationships with Raucous. So it was kind of like the natural progression. So, um, yeah, man, definitely um, 
you know, once the Dre thing fell through, I, I landed at Rawkins Records and, uh, you know, tried to make something happen there too. But as fate would have it, um, they were going through a, 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 for lack of a better term, an, an identity crisis during that during the time that I got there. So their whole mantra of this is where the real hip hop is sort of morphed into, you know, this is where real hip hop can kind of make strides into competing with, you know, money making mainstream hip hop, whatever those terms mean in, in their own right. So yeah, that's pretty much how the raucous thing jumped off. My words from the genius, and he's still my ramen hero. Now the next fight was conducted in a rough-like manner, specifically between Reggie Noble and Dr. David Banner. Or should I say the incredible hawk when he's amped off the gamma? But Reggie Noble soon became the incredible red man and slammed him. You know how red man gets when his adrenaline starts pumping. Started skitzing in the ring, so then the thing tried to jump in. Ben Grimm leaps into the ring, and after red man he lunges. But Reggie Noble dropped him with two bricks, and he punches. Rhymes by the bunches, bums get dirty in the Middle Eastern dungeons. Ready to set this like Detective Columbo with his hunches. While the refs clean out the ring because the last fight was so intense, let's do a live interview with the brother named Common Sense. Yeah, yeah, it's Common Sense. A nice man tried to freeze me, so I took him to Chicago and told him to take it easy. He couldn't see me with my Applejack hat and my BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I you know, kind of asked you about I mean, it's New York City, but it's significant uh, places in New York City, and and I, and I you know mentioned this part of recording, but you know uh, you know I, I think probably late nineties, mid nineties, I had the opportunity to um, you know, I walked into Fat Beats in New York City just to kind of check out some records, and you know to, with a great surprise, you were there. They're performing right next to the DJ, right? And of course, I was lucky enough to hear you at the time uh, perform uh, Secret Wars. Uh, can you just wow. can you uh, talk about uh, more of the significance for you? Some highlights of your live performances, especially at Fat Beats, and and also for people that don't know, what is what was or you know is the significance of Fat Beats to independent artists like yourself, but also hip hop in New York City? Man, Fat Beats was everything. It was like it was just basically an opportunity for those of us who weren't maybe mainstream savvy but still artistically dope to be heard and seen and be a part of a scene you know I had um, I had a a gentleman who was from Philly who went on to do some things in New York and he was like when I first started emerging on the scene, he was kind of like, yo, um, 
you know, I asked some people back in Philly about you and they don't they don't really know like like, you know, they haven't really seen you around the scene. And so I just kind of looked at this dude and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I didn't formulate the words at the time. But after our conversation, I'm thinking to myself, that's because I was never a part of a scene. I, I'm, I'm I was there was a underground scene here, but I wasn't a part of it. It kind of was looked at upon as like. Hmm. Almost bougie, hmm. but I'm I'm a local rapper. I'm the the, the corner store, corner stop and go, uh, local bar. You know, a bunch of drunk dudes who who get money in the streets, putting up money. Like, yo, my man right here, he nice. He'll battle anybody around here. I'm a part of that scene. So when it got when I got to New New York City, I was finally able to be a part of. A legitimate scene you know um and they embraced mm. it they embrace everybody embraced me so fat beats was like one of the epicenters of that scene you know what i mean we, if i wasn't there i was performing at the wetlands or you know um just somewhere to just be seen and heard and let people know you know um and you know like they say still sharp and still so i encountered a lot of other talented um Brothers and sisters, female, you know, male, female of all walk of life or all ethnic, you know, denomination and background. Just if you were dope, you were dope. Mm. Like I even remember there was like a, a Caucasian sister from like the Midwest. And I think her name was like Invincible, if, if my memory serves correct. And she was super duper lyrical, super dope. She could come off the top of the head with freestyle. And she was from like, I want to say Wisconsin or something <laughs> like that. So, but somehow she had made it into that scene. So I say all this to say that, you know, everybody ranging from somebody like myself, you know, a young, young black dude from the hood to you know, a young white girl who's from like, you know, middle America who totally look on surface looks out of place. We all found somewhere like fat beats to congregate at and hone our craft, be known to the world. And again, this is the Mecca of hip hop. So we're really going hard and we're really trying to make something happen and something pop. But yeah, man, fat beats was very, very pivotal in my career and, uh, you know, um, whenever I see dudes who, who were affiliated with that, um, it, it just brings a, a certain warmth to my heart and, and, and fond memories. Um, you know, I mentioned in the intro how you, you, um, the thing I the thing I drew into your music and, 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 and what, I, what I love about what you do is that you, you push concepts and even like lyrics to a limit, right? Um, at the boundaries, you push them, your boundaries and... And when you think about hip hop, um, you know, especially rap, or even all, all the elements, it, it gives the artists a certain level to escape uh, to, to, to you know, fantasy. And then you you think about you think about comics as well, and, and comics do the same things. And and what you do is that you have this amazing ability to incorporate the two in your into your rhymes. Um, 
So is there a reason, or what's the significance of kind of, you know, it's, like, it's kind of for me, it's like uh, you, a, a double, you're doubling up on, on being able to escape on, 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 on fantasy. Is there a reason behind that? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of um, grew up again with certain hardships that you're seeing outside in the community, drugs, crime, poverty, homelessness, all of those things. You know, we all have some form or fashion of escapism, whether it's escaping from the nine to five job, tedious job that we do at our cubicle, whether it's, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, being a teacher who loves their kids, no doubt, loves their students and pupils, no doubt. But sometimes it starts pulling hair because it's like, yo, am I really getting through to them? Uh, when I get out of here tonight, I just want to take a cow gun bath and take me away. That's their escapism, right. or you know, um, whatever that whatever that hobby may be. And I think that's something that we as a uh, as a uh, as Americans have kind of gotten away from is having hobbies, whether it's you know um, putting flying kites whether it's, uh, you know, building um, or putting together uh, toy models, whatever the case may be, something that stimulates our brain in a different way, but allows us to have constructive fun, artistic fun. So to me, comic books, um, uh, uh, you know, were were an ultimate form of escapism. Mm -hmm. And even better yet... um, I've heard people like uh, George Lucas describe his work and even some of the work of people like, I guess, like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and all of that as a sort of like modern day mythology. Um, And that, you know, um, there are certain archetypes, the hero archetype, you know, Luke Skywalker, he's the ultimate hero, but yet he's got all these family issues and not really knowing at one point who his father is, you know what I'm saying? Um, You know, uh, just trying to find his place in the world. These are things we all on an individual level wrestle with, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So like you were saying earlier, in terms of me establishing myself with Dr. Dre, you know, life is definitely all about those peaks and valleys. You know, and so Luke Skywalker destroyed the first Death Star, but then they started to build another one. And now Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. So he went from that high peak. He received the medal for blowing up the Death Star. And then the next episode, he gets his 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 hand chopped off, you know, so. You know, I get a I get a deal with Dr. Dre. And then the next thing you know, I lose not only that deal, but I also uh, part ways with Raucous. So sometimes in reading comic books and you know you what I'm saying is even in fantasy or what may be deemed or coined as fantasy may be certain truths and certain realities that we can take away from with that whether it's being heroic in the face of oppression whether it's you know um knowing that looking inwardly I can accomplish anything I can use the force and accomplish anything you know the list goes on and on and on but even a more simple term than everything exotic that I just said I'm a nerd at heart I'm a geek at heart I love uh 
pop cult things that are pop culture but fun. You know what I mean? So, of course, growing up, I grew up at a perfect time. I think, you know, we're kind of in this both same age range. So I grew up with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I grew up with Thundercats. I grew up with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was the code name for America's highly trained special. You know what I mean? All of that stuff. So... It, it, it just, you know, there was, I had so much fun growing up and being immersed in that world that it just comes out naturally in the music where you may have some artists who may have a line or two here and there that lets you know that they were involved in those things. But to me, I nerd all the way out and I make an entire song. So then you get stuff like uh, Jungle Cats or you get Animalistics or you get secret wars mm-hmm. you know um just trying to have fun man i have i had a fun childhood i absorbed a lot of fun cool nerdy stuff and i think it's only right that i give that back out when i when i create my music yeah when you did uh when you when you rolled your when you when you rolled your r in a jungle catch perfect uh, and the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this is incredible. Um, I want to... Um, yeah, man. I just try to have fun. No, and, and, and obviously, it comes off uh, in, in so much of, of your body of work, which is, you know, appreciation of that. And, and I, I want to go... I want to ask you about the track Heaven. And... Which uh, uh, one, one of my favorite tracks you've, you've done. Um, and... And I want to ask you because, so another backstory. So in in the nineties, you know, the, the Puffy era, right? There was a moment when yes. I couldn't really, I just couldn't stand listening. It was on, you know, commercial radio. I couldn't stand listening to it. And then, you know, I got into when I got into college and I started playing Black Star. Um, I was more about like, right. well, I think like there is an argument to be made that uh, certain music is not pushed to the mainstream because it is empowering or you know it shows uh, uh shows black people in a positive light um versus a stereotypical like that's something that's pushed on the radio and when you so right. there's lyrics that you do in heaven and, and the lyrics are and i hope i don't screw them up but the lyrics are and real lyricists sign record contracts not these gun-toting blunt-smoking crossover acts lying on wax claiming they drop facts mm. um and you wrote that i think early 2000s um, yes, sir. Uh, can you well, can you talk about what the significance of those lyrics then? But do you think this those lyrics are still holding true today in terms of the acts that are are, are signed? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually wrote that song um, in '95, oh, wow. and it was on my demo. That's what. Yeah, that's one of the songs that that Dre heard and. Uh, wanted to sign me from here hearing stuff like that yeah yeah that was on my demo and I'm, I, I just say that to give you a time reference on how um, unfortunately artists such as myself who do kind of um, go a little bit of a different direction our our music is is held up so long you know that you know, there is something to be said for shelf life when it comes to an MC. Right. You know, I like to think I try to craft my rhymes to be fresh so that if I'm using a certain punchline or making a certain reference, I want it to come out pretty much right after I wrote it because I don't want time to elapse 
you know, it takes the, a little bit of the, 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 the impact out of the punchline if it's five years later. So that definitely was one of the songs on my demo. Unfortunately, I kind of saw the direction that hip hop was going. And like you said, with the whole, you know, um, you know, and, 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 and don't get me wrong. I think there's something to be said for the brand of of music that Puffy was doing. Mm-hmm. I just think there wasn't enough balance right. for like just straight up hardcore lyricists. Like it just wasn't enough balance, you know, and that dominated too much. And unfortunately, I think it still holds true. I'll even take it a step further and say that there are even still people out to this day that I think are very talented lyrically, but all they want to rhyme about is drugs. All they want to rhyme about is degrading women. All they want to rhyme about is genocide. And don't get me wrong. I think that all of these voices have a place because the first thing that some of these guys will tell you is like, yo, I'm just talking about, I'm just trying to rap about what I see every day. I'm just trying to live my, you know, talk about my life and what I see. You know, okay, I get that. I get that. You know, everybody has the that's the that's the divine nature of hip hop. It gives us the ability to 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 have a voice when we had no no voice to be the voice of the voiceless. Right. So I get that. You know, everybody should have their fair shake in in, in in expressing their experience. It just becomes somewhat of an agenda when all you hear are those experiences. Right. You know what I mean? Or the glorification of those experiences instead of the cautionary tale. Like, to me, nobody will ever be the perfect union of lyrical and, how shall I say, street than Cool G Rap. Mm, To me, he's the epitome of that style. Now, of course, I'm from Philly. So when I talk about gangster... Uh, music, I got to give it up to Schooly D, who's really, even the dudes out on the West Coast will tell you that Schooly D is the one that they heard with songs like Gucci Time and PSK, mm-hmm. which is 10 minutes, 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I saw him perform before the world got to see him. So I, I think that in terms of being super lyrical and combining that with the street element to me nobody has ever done that as better as 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 precisely as who G rap so to me he sets the bar he's the litmus test for how nice a person is with that but the thing that i always appreciated especially about his early work is that they were cautionary tales mm-hmm don't do this. I'm going to show you what I saw. I saw a dude get robbed, but this is how it ended. He ended up getting killed or going to jail. So I just think there's too much glorification now. And I think that there is somewhat of an agenda behind that. When we look at the relationship between the the music industry and the prison industrial complex, we can have, well, that's a conversation in itself, but I just think there needs to be balance. And, even furthermore, some of the rappers who have touted themselves with being the purest or being like, you know, the, the, the official hip hop heads or whatever, we one of the common themes in all of our songs and all of our, you know, records is like taking out 
other MCs who aren't representing the culture correctly, taking out sucker MCs. But I see a whole bunch of sucker MCs out here now, but I don't see none of these guys that have platforms taking them out. So, I mean, there's something to be said for being artistic, but at the end of the day, and I will, you you might find me using a lot of uh, Star Wars analogies because I mean, out of all of my nerddom, Star Wars is probably like at the top of the list. But MCing is the Jedi component to rap music. Anybody can pick up a mic and say a couple of words. You know, in the recent installment, you know, so I, you know, I know it's not really popular with a lot of Star Wars fans, but the dude Finn, he picked up a lightsaber and actually was pretty good at one point with it, but that didn't make him a Jedi. Mm-hmm. He still did not know the, the different forms of lightsaber technique that Count Dooku knew or that Luke Skywalker knew and learned from, you know, his his student, uh, his his master, you know, um, or Shock T or Kit Fisto. I mean, I, can, I mean, the, the the names could go on and on, and I'm I'm just flexing my Star Wars muscle right now. <laughs> but MCing is the jet. Anybody can rap. I remember seeing cartoons on television where Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble were rapping and break dancing. Anybody can rap, but to be an MC. That's that Jedi thing. And everybody doesn't get to, to have that. I'm not even saying that I have it, but that's what I'm always working to perfect and improve upon. So, again, to reiterate, I hear a lot of stuff. I hear all the stuff on the radio. You know, I got, you know what I'm saying, uh, younger relatives. And, you know, I'm out still out in the community. You know, I, 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 I'm aware of what's going on. And I try to at least absorb it to the, to the extent that I know what it is and know what's going on. But, you know, I just feel like some of the purists who've had platforms and had large voices are not, you know, they're busy trying to do songs with these guys instead of taking them out. So, um, yeah, man, we still got that problem. And unfortunately, mainstream radio is always going to be that way. Right. I mean, it also doesn't help is that it's, it's, you know, it's like a social media numbers game now, right? So... Uh, you could be Bingo. you could be a Bingo. real shitty rapper, and you know you get your numbers up. Someone's gonna sign you, right? I mean, even if it's for one, even even if it's for one one record, they'll still sign you because they'll make money off of you. Bingo, bingo. And I think what suffers the most is the literacy of the listener. You know, I can remember a time when a lot of my homies weren't going to school like that. But I mean, come on, man, you listen to some KRS One, some Public Enemy. Some, uh, you know, again, uh, Big Daddy Kane, you know, his vocabulary was off the charts. Um, you know, even again, I mentioned Cool G Rap, Cool G Rap, listen to something like Men at Work and really break down like, a, 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 you know, the, the content there and, and, and the references, the, the, hot, the, the similes, the metaphors. I mean, it helped with the literacy of kids that weren't really going to school like that. So now you got on the radio dudes mumbling who aren't even, (laughs) they aren't even, you know, it's, it's, it's just not even comprehensible what they're saying. And when your program, when you're listening to your radio program and your program to hear some dude who's ineligible, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and just, you know, you can't make out even any any resemblance of a sentence from this guy. 
if I'm programmed and I'm listening to that all day, it does something to my my uh, my psychological literacy as well. You know what I mean? Right, and you also not. I mean, we grew up at a time when you were forced—not forced, but you would—you would take a moment and figure out the lyrics because, like you said, it was a, mostly it was a teaching moment as well. Like you know, it would uh, like what is he referencing go. now? What is he, I mean now? Or like trying to figure out what the hell they're saying, but <laughs> not not get not gaining any knowledge there from there. Um, exactly. You mentioned. You, I want to go back. You mentioned. Uh, Rap and the industrial, uh, you know, prison complex. Um, which one do you think feeds what? Like, do you think? I mean, is it is is what's being pushed on the masses supposed to create something that pushes more people into prison, or is it vice versa? They work in tandem. Mm-hmm. They work hand in hand. They uh, want. They both fuel one another. Um, you know, um, hip, hip, I I can't even, I was about to say hip hop music, but rap music, there's a component of it that very much glorifies, um, prison culture, um, very much glorifies gang culture. And we all know that the days of gang culture resembling, uh, somewhat revolutionary or, um, socially aware movements are somewhat they're, they're gone um, and I say that to say that those that are aware of the the inception of gang culture whether it be out of Chicago whether it be out of Los Angeles whether it be out of you know there are many many places here and um, on the east coast that, that, that definitely had a lot of gang um, situation in uh 50s, 60s, 70s, pretty much as, as long as as long as long uh, impoverished people have been put in impoverished places. I mean, we can, one can just uh, reference gangs, the, the movie Gangs of New York to see how far back gangs go here in this country. Um, but the, the thing about a lot of the, the gang culture of the, uh, the urban setting, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, in places like Chicago, in places like Los Angeles, um, and, 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 and even here, uh, in Philadelphia and New York city, you got like here in Philly, we had like the, the Moroccos and, you know, in, um, New York city, you got like, um, you know, the Tomahawks or, you know, the Jolly Stompers out in Brooklyn, or you had like the Savage Skulls up in the Bronx. Um, the ones in particular on the West coast and even in Chicago started out as almost like revolutionary organizations. But when you mix um, drugs and weapons into the mix, you know, things start to take a bit of a different turn. So that's what we see now. So now most of the prison system is filled with, you know, people who, you know, wanted to become a part of some, you know, maybe at the inception thought this was something positive to be a part of. Um, got caught up and realized that no, it's you know morphed into more about you know um, uh, facilitating the drug trade or just rampant violence. You know things of that nature are now what we think of when we think of gang culture, and the prisons are full of 
individuals who, for one one reason or another, have become a part of that. So here we have um, in hip hop or in rap music within the past, um, I would say. 15, 20 years, even further, I maybe mean, you want to say maybe like 25, 27 years, you know, now gang culture has become like chic, where when hip hop first started, it was to get kids away from the gang culture, away from the rampant violence, away from the drug use, you know, it was about, as they say, peace, unity, love and having fun. Well, what you know, it makes you wonder well, what the hell happened. So again, some of the shareholders or people who had money vested in a prison industrial complex also have money in entertainment. So they work hand in hand. You know, if you're building new prisons, you intend on people occupying those cells. You're going to make money from people occupying those cells. So, hey. You know, you know, my, my one of the other shareholders, uh, you know, he's got money invested in, uh, you know, it just insert any name of any record company. So he's not going to have a problem allowing his artist or and in some instances preferring that his artist talk as gangster and as ratchety as they as they they possibly can, because they know on the back end. The music, unfortunately, does dictate some of the behavior. I mean, in a perfect world, we like to say, you know, parents should be the the benefactors of instructing these children. In a perfect world, that is the case. But unfortunately, I know when I grew up, I wanted to be just like my favorite rapper. It just so happened that I grew up at a time that my favorite rapper could form sentences. My favorite rapper, you know, uh, wore truck jewelry. He he looked. He 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 was. He, you know he was clean to the T. And he gave me food for thought and inspired me to want to learn and grow. Unfortunately, now your favorite rapper is telling you, "Look, man, you know, go out here, take these drugs, pop Molly or whatever it is you're into. Um, you know, um, degrade women, treat them like uh, you know B's and H's, and you know what I mean. And and when you're done doing that." You know, turn up, go outside and shoot 10 people, you know, and uh, that that's unfortunately the sad, the sad case that we see now. So even Rakim let us know that MC meant move the crowd. So in a rudimentary form, he let us know that what's coming out of our mouths inspires movement in the people. So. If these dudes now are only talking about killing each other, of course it's going to inspire the listener to go and want to kill and hurt something, you know. And not in every case. I want I want to say that not in every case, but unfortunately, um, the numbers are great. So you hear the music, you're inspired to go out and commit crime and engage in genocide, and that only leads you in one or two places the graveyard or the prison. So they work hand in hand and now prison culture has become like chic. So when you see a lot of these dudes sagging, you know, to the point where they can't even walk, they're pulling their pants up every five minutes. And don't get me wrong because there was a period and I would say like the mid 90s, late 90s, where we sagged a little bit. But now it's like, 
it, it, it's like down to a dude's ankles or whatever. And that, from what I understand, comes out of prison culture as well. So, yeah, man, the two go hand in hand and they, they fuel each other. They feed each other. And unfortunately, um, the, the, the listener who doesn't have right discernment and doesn't have knowledge of himself prior to listening becomes a part of that equation. There's no stress in heaven, be all relaxed. And real lyricists sign record contracts. Not these gun toting, blood smoking crossover acts. Lying on wax, claiming they drop backs. Imagine possibly no animosity or BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I want to go back to uh, to, uh, to to this track Heaven, uh, and, and the reason why I do is because you know you wrote a track called Heaven. Uh, the crew wrote Heaven tonight, right? Uh, Tubac wrote I wonder if Heaven got a ghetto, and many artists have written right. stuff on Heaven. Uh, what is it about the topic of Heaven that lets artists like yourself kind of run wild? You know, have their imagination run wild. I think we all we all. Um, I think human beings in general are always on a quest to ascend to something greater in their imagination than they may be seeing in their reality. So, you know, I'm a firm, I'm firm in the understanding that heaven and hell are not physical places, but conditions of the mind. Now, when I painted that picture, I needed to put it in a way that obviously I'm into music, I'm doing music, but I'm also very well, very aware of how entertainment across the board, when done right and done correctly, can serve as a beacon for us to have examples of how to reach that higher um Understanding or that greater understanding of this thing called life. So, and putting people like Bruce Lee in the rhyme. Now, obviously, he's not a musician, but what he did in perfecting his craft of physical movement, he had gotten down to a philosophy that was, for even, I mean, I won't even say for lack of a better term, but was Zen in its nature. He had found his uh, nirvana in movement. And it was a dual thing because his movement, you know, in the case of, you know, okay, you take something like um, Tai Chi, 
which is very slow movement, you know, very slow, more almost on a, on a tight tip of just exercising. But some of those same movements sped up can be likened to Kung Fu or Qigong or whatever you, you want to call it and can inflict harm on someone. Still, you know, can be used as a protector and used to defend, but can you put the beauty in what Bruce Lee was able to do to me when people talk about being in heaven, to me that was his heaven. Creating this philosophy, his piece of um heaven on earth, as they as some people would say. So, but it started in his mind. He had to envision many of those movements before he put them on paper, before he physically, uh, you know, the mind controls everything. Even, um, uh, and, and uh, I, I, uh, I like to reference other hip hop artists as well. Um, the brother Buckshot, and one of his songs says, um, the, uh, the mind controls the body, body thinks the mind is crazy. Whatever Swayze, when I do whatever's lazy, when I grip the mic, I'm Swayze. You know what I'm saying? Like he pointed out that everything started in the mind. You know, um, so again, heaven and hell are conditions of the mind first. And sometimes if your mind isn't right, it will create a physical condition of heaven or hell, depending on what your mind state is. So I think a lot of artists have tapped into this whole thing, especially hip hop artists in that. You know, we all come from poverty. Most of us, we all come from the inner city. We come from harsh realities. And we all kind of sit back and dream like, man, if if I could just get get my, uh, my, my art heard, if I could get these rhymes heard on a large scale, it'll change my surrounding. It'll put me in whatever my, my uh, perception of heaven might be, you know? So when I wrote heaven... Um, I just wanted it to be, again, something that was fun and imaginative and, you know, give people somewhat of a glimpse of what their of what the common perception of heaven is, but also just interject like, listen, you know, this, these are conditions of the mind. And, you know, I think the, you know, the ill thing about that is, I, again, that was on the demo. Um, I released it and I remember not long after that. um Tupac's video I Ain't Mad At You came out and if you remember that video he goes to heaven and he meets people like I think like Sammy Davis Jr. Red Fox many other entertainers and I just said wow I didn't look at it like yo you know my concept somebody else did my concept I just looked at it like you know there I, I do subscribe to the fact that there are periods um on this planet being 196,940,000 square miles there are periods upon which certain energies are released and if we allow ourselves to be tapped into those things and be receptors and conduits of those energies we can influence the masses of people so Tupac very insightful and this was the last video he did before he you know he transitioned you know what I'm saying so he was very insightful in that regard um, you know I definitely want to have to go and listen to the coup to their version of, of, of the heaven uh, format 
And again, I just think that we all tap into something that's kind of universal. Again, like, like George Lucas says, with Luke Skywalker, he created the universal archetype. You know, Luke Skywalker is no different than Hercules, who Hercules in Greek mythology, he had the task of, you know, um, avenging people and becoming um, he was a mortal, but becoming like the gods and overthrowing evil or even better yet, Perseus, who, um, you know, had the, the, the task of, you know, um, uh, slaying Medusa, you know, taking the head off of Medusa. There are certain archetypes. Um, again, commonality in some of these characters, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, for example, um, his whole thing with great power comes great responsibility. He's the, the you know, the hero who, who's even flawed himself, but is still in the end, always heroic. And I think that, you know, um, certain archetypes, even within music. So we're talking about heaven. That's an archetype that, like you said, we've seen in various artists and they've gone given their own spin and own take on it. But um, it definitely, to me, it starts in the mind. I'm an emperor, his empire crushes the poor. You fuck up, you fuck up with the last emperor. The sixth real. You're about to fill the chronicles of a bionic. The six trillion dollar man's back on the scene. The super supreme, clean mean, killing machine. A pack of laser blaster that'll get rid of your team. Too much action to fit on your screen. Devastator word, creator of rhymes when I kick them. Terminator built by cyberdyne systems. Powerful perpetrators die when I hit them. With every aim, I'm claiming five to nine victims. And I'm sure I can take out nine more before they come. Um, in 2013, uh, you were one of the featured artists uh, on Marco Polo's PA2, the director's cut. And you did the track uh, Six Trill. Uh, I kind of reached out to Marco Polo and kind of asked about the collaboration progress uh, process between you two. And he said, um, he, all he does is that you gave him an amazing track, but in complete, he's in complete mystery of how you your creative process and how you created this track. Uh, so this wonder, could you Yo, give us some insight? Shout out to Marco Polo. Yeah, that's an amazing track. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, man. Can you just give us some insight into that? That your, I mean, just your creative process. You have obviously, but like some more insight into like your your actual, you know, your creative process, or even something like that, where someone you know sends you a track and you Word. kind of write to it. Word. Yeah, man, salute to Marco Polo. And I mean, he's just, he's so incredible with 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 just making beats and putting, it's like the, the music already dictated. To me, it was easy because the music already dictated to me somewhat of a sci-fi feel. When I heard the track, just stripped down, just the track, it had a sci-fi feel. And again, my nerdum is just going to kick in. So I immediately thought of, uh, for some reason, I thought of the $6 million man. I thought of Steve Austin. Um, you know, um, you know, a gentleman who was an astronaut who, um, who crashed one of his missions and his body was so badly damaged that he had to become the first bionic man. Mm-hmm. So, he was a bionic man, but at that time, it took $6 million, which today is not really a lot of money, but it took $6 million to give him the uh, the cybernetic parts to his body. Um, and shout out to Lee Majors, too. Uh, you know, tremendous, tremendous actor. Um, so 
during the time that we recorded, there was this thing going, you know, slang always plays a part in hip hop and rap music. So the saying that something is trill, it's just like, yo, that's like the truth. It's the dopest. You know, they used it in the South a lot, places like Texas, like, yo, that's trill. You know, things just being trill just meant really dope. So somehow I was just thinking like, yo, I want to kind of take this, the angle of um, the $6 million man. And then it just, it clicked. Okay, instead of the $6 million man, to update it, he would be the $6 trillion man. And let me shorten it and make give it the hip-hop spin so he's $6 trill, mm. you know? And uh, that's pretty much how it happened, man. Like, again, my, my mental Rolodex always, if I hear the music and it sparks something. So immediately I just got a vision of the $6 million man, which became the $6 trillion man, a killer track, and now the only the only thing that I have the responsibility of doing is making it believable because a lot of times the guys who are kind of nerdy like myself, we may come with certain rhymes or certain try to approach a song in a way that it's like comes off as campy. And to me, campy is not bad, but there still has to be that level of believability. That's where vocal inflection comes in. So mm. when I'm saying I'm the six trill, I'm the six trill. And when I cruise around the way, I push a big wheel, you know, and I'm talking about having cybernetic parts and the scientists who created me. I ha- When I'm in the moment, I totally believe that. I have to totally believe that. And that's why I'm able to deliver it. So, yeah, man, that was a very, very fun record. And I, I really look forward to doing more stuff with Marco Polo. That's dope, man. So, yeah, it was one of my, it's, I think, there's a lot of favorites on that album, but it's one of my favorite, top favorites, I think, on, on, on that album. And it was yeah, a nice, was a really dope album. For sure. a, a great, it was also a great surprise when, you know, when, it, when, it, when, it, when, you know, listening to it. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, I did not look at the track listing at the time, but uh, it just popped right, up. So right. that's really dope. Um, in 2019, uh, so a couple of years ago, right, you put out the project Lord of the Fly with um, Hack Fillmore. Um, the first the first track of the project is Back From The Dead, a track where you, which you talk about coming back into rap. Uh, so I want to ask you, what made you, what, when what made you walk away and how, I think how, how that has to be, uh, just you think about how good you are, what you do, and I imagine a, a very difficult decision to do, but then what prompted you and inspired you to kind of come back? Well, you know, um, we were talking about the uh, the peace and valleys that all of our lives, all of us having this this human existence here, um, uh, experience go through. So I would probably say the single singular, the single most thing that kind of pulled me away from the music was the death of my mother, who passed away in like 2016. Um, so that was like kind of like the ultimate it took the wind out of my sail for a minute and even prior to that she had been ill for a number of years so I took part in um, caring for her you know I always pride myself with being a private person so I didn't even let a lot of people know even people that were somewhat close to me didn't know that we were dealing with that um, in my, my personal home life so um, it kind of it kind of made me take a step back and just uh, reprioritize a lot of stuff in my life um, and again she was like very much a catalyst 
for me creating anyway. So her not having her around in the physical, it, it, it kind of took the wind out of my sail for a minute. Um, and, uh, you know, even with, with that being said, um, I'm the sort of writer who has to kind of like live life and live through some things. And that's what gives me the material to write about. Um, so yeah, I could just kind of like make up raps that are kind of like not really that in depth all day, all night, but I just kind of try to come with something that, that, that people are going to think is special and that I feel, first of all, is special to me in telling a story so that, you know, and then sometimes, let me say this, sometimes in writing, things may come to you um, very quickly and sometimes you got to know when to put the pen down. There are times that obviously with what I do there is, you know, more than likely you got to pick it up more than the average person. But I also respect the fact that there are times that I got to put the pen down and go live life because that's what gives me the fuel and the material to write about. So, um, again, even before prior to 2019, I put out with Hawk Fulmore, we put out uh, an album entitled Jungle Gym Season One. Um, and that was kind of like my first full length foray. First of all, it was the first time that I was able to finally deal with one producer from top to bottom from you know from incubator to respirator he and I sat down he would give me beats I'd go over them he'd give me a certain period of time to finish the work but he did kind of pace me like okay we need to start working on this next joint so it was challenging and rewarding and creative for both of us to just be one MC one uh, producer, but we also did have some help. I, I don't want to shortchange my man Ill Product also because he was very pivotal in that also. And so we put out Jungle Gym. Just to me, that was kind of like my my dream nerdy project. If this doesn't go anywhere else, I want to listen to this. I always wanted to create a character that dealt with action and adventure, somewhat a mixture between uh uh hip-hop meets Indiana Jones. And that's what we have in Jungle Gym. So once we did season one, I was like, yo, me and this guy really work together very, very well. So I said, okay, now I'm ready to just come with a straight-up Last Emperor project. And thus we have Lord of the Fly. And so Back from the Dead is the exciting uh, lead track, which the entire song is uh, 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 an analogy between quote-unquote old movie monsters, horror film movie monsters from like the House of Hammer. So we're talking about Frankenstein's monster. We're talking about Count Dracula. We're talking about uh, the Wolfman. Um, even taking a step further, um, uh, Lord Vader or Count or, or, or you know, um, Emperor Palpatine. You know, all of these iconic classic movie monsters or evil doers, you know, who through one way or another have risen from uh, a perceived death. So I use that as some, some somewhat of a, a metaphor like, okay, people, you know, because I've gotten certain rumors, you know, I've, I, I don't listen to the, pay attention to everything, but it, I was catching wind of the fact that 
people were confused at the fact that I did a song with um, um, Wrestling Power, uh, you know, Too Poetic, a.k.a. The Grim Reaper from The Grave Diggers. And he, he passed away some years ago. And so people were a little confused. And some people were thinking that I was no longer here physically. So... I was like, you know what? I just want to come with a record. When I start this record off, I got to let people know that I'm still here in a very dramatic way. So just like uh, uh, Count uh, Vlad Tepes or Count Dracula comes back from the dead, or, you know, we thought that Emperor Palpatine was dead, but did he clone himself? He came back some way. Um, Vader got his limbs cut off, but they gave him the suit, so he was perceived back from the dead. The Last Emperor also has that ability to come back from the dead. So, um, and 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 even th- that, even um, that story arc is something that I kind of was trying to establish earlier when I did the record with the RZA, and he lives because as the story is told in in the Last Emperor saga, because when when all is said and done, a lot of these records are like pieces to a larger puzzle that gives you this full arc, story arc of the last emperor. How was he created? Where did he come from? Why is he here? How long will he be here? Who are his arch enemies? So in the story arc of the last emperor, it is actually the Rizza who's the, he's the Rizza Rector from Gravedigger. So who better to reanimate a 6,000 year old warrior than the RZA from Wu-Tang, the RZA Rector. So he is the one who actually, we did a record called He Lives, and that's why I really had it falling out with um, with Raucous Records, because I gave them that record. Um, it's produced by Prince Paul. It's got the RZA on it. It's a, It was a no-brainer. So they fumbled and stumbled and didn't put it out. It was supposed to actually be on some, one of those sound bombing projects. And they didn't they didn't put it on there. So that's why we had the ultimate falling out. But the, the record is still out there. I encourage anyone who who uh, who hears this to go and seek it out. It's on, it's on YouTube somewhere. It's called He Lives, Last Emperor featuring the RZA. And it was an honor and a privilege to even be on the same record with the Abbott. But yeah, man, um, uh, Back from the Dead was just showing people I'm back. You know, when they threw the industry, thought it threw dirt on me for the last time, but here I am once again. Uh, you, you know, you just mentioned uh, doing a track with uh, the late uh, poetic from uh, the Grave Diggers, and uh, and I believe you're referring to the track uh, "One Life." Um, and and uh, you know, I was reading an interview you did, and you 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 said that um, at the time of the interview, you said, and whatever it still holds true today, that. This was the most proud of, and to feel the most passionate about this this track that you did. Um, is that is that still twenty twenty one? I mean, is that is, is one life still that kind of that track that you feel the kind of the most proud of? Yes, sir. Um, definitely because of the content, because um, uh, you know it, it it deals with the ultimate what some people perceive as the ultimate mystery that we experience as humans on this planet, which is when the lights finally go out and we take that final breath, what happens? What's the next part? Is there a next part? Is this all that there is? Once the oxygenated uh, uh, molecules in my chest release for that final time and my breath goes out, 
and hopefully goes out into the ionosphere, is that it? Do they just fizzle out? So I wanted to deal with that topic. It just came together, you know, perfectly. And that, you know, we got the very talented singer out of Canada, Estero. And um, some people may think that I just got any singer to jump on it. I was very well familiar with her work, which was bubbling in like the mid-90s. Um, very, very talented singer, very soulful um, in her own right. Um, and even more importantly, the fact that I grew up a fan of Too Poetic. His first single was God Made Me Funky. I remember when he used to come on video jukebox and seeing him get busy on that record. And then one of my favorite groups emerged, The Grave Diggers, which was like one of the illest super groups. You got Prince Paul from... You know, uh, Step Society, uh, Catalyst for De La Soul. You got the Resurrector from Wu-Tang, the Abbott. You know, you got Fuquan, who's also from Step Society. You got, um, you know, um, Shabazz the Disciple. You got Killer Priest. Just a, a really, really ill group. But too poetic. His style was always just very dope to me. I think that um, his work on that, especially that first and second, you know, those, those two greatest albums, exceptional work, phenomenal work. He's an ill MC, but even greater, he was an ill man, an ill human. To know that he was facing that time that I referred to of taking potentially his last breath coming shortly. I'll give you an example. The day we recorded the record. Um, he had chemotherapy. He had a chemotherapy session earlier that day. I spoke to him over the phone. I said, "Yo, Grim, check it out. We don't have to do this today. You know, um, I may even just lay the vocals if you don't. If you want us to do it all at the same time, I'll postpone the session. We don't have to do this because I know how it is coming from chemo. You're, you're going to be tired. You're going to be." He was like, "Nah, God, nah, G. I, I, I got to get this done. I got to get this done." He had such a work toward the end of his physical existence. He has such an ill work ethic like you wouldn't believe. Um, so, again, it speaks to something a greater, um, a greater, how shall I say, just a greater s statement in life. If you knew that you had a certain amount of time left on this planet, how would you spend that time? If I told you in, let's say, a week's time or a month's time, you won't be here anymore, what would you do with that time? Now, me personally, I, I, you know, on any given day, I might want to, you know, drink and party, That you know, maybe, you know, be with as many beautiful women as I possibly could or eat all the exotic foods that I've never eaten or, you know, maybe one of the last things I would think about doing was any work. But this gentleman knew that really... What would give him eternal life would be to leave as much of his ideas, his thoughts, his philosophies, and his words here with the rest of us. So we can still listen to his records, you know, until they run out and replay them over and over again. But to me, that just showed tremendous, as they say, grace under fire, that he knew his time wasn't that long. He, he told me he the doctors gave him a certain period of time. He didn't just go lie down somewhere and you know uh, in a corner or or you know trick off or anything like that. 
he wanted to keep recording as much as possible. He wanted to do this song passionately, very passionately. So, you know what I mean? Having that type of an example of not just an MC, but a human, human being, somebody that cohabitated, you know, this planet with me is just phenomenal. And it served as an example, like, yo, how can I ever complain about having to get up and go to work every day? And this guy knew that his time was short and he still wanted to come to the studio and record. Did that moment at all, I mean, for you as an artist, did that change? Uh, artistically, did it change anything in terms of your approach to writing lyrics or even the approach to just create, creating? Yeah, just it reinforced, it more like reinforced the fact that I, I always got to say something. Even in records that people may think are just fun records, um, I got to say something. There has to be some sort of takeaway from that. Like, you know, um, uh, songs like Animalistics, you know, where the, the final line is, um, that's when I realized the deadliest animal was human. You know, um, just something that's a fun record. It's like, oh, wow, listen to the sound effects and this, that, and the other. Or even better, even still um, Secret Wars. You know, it came, I wrote that at a time that this whole East Coast, West Coast thing was bubbling. You know what I mean? And then we saw the deaths of Tupac Shakur, the notorious B.I.G., other people we've lost along the way in our personal lives. And I just was like, yo, what can I do that's going to be fun, but at the same time drives home that, listen, as a collective, whether you're from the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, Dirty South, Midwest, wherever, if we come together, we're an unstoppable army. Stan Lee ain't got nothing for us. You know what I mean? He can come with the best of them. He can throw Wolverine at us. I'll throw meth. He can throw the Incredible Hulk. I'll throw Redman. He can throw Professor X. I'll go get KRS-One. So the moral of that story is, again, collectively, we can come together and, and defeat any army. So it just reinforced in doing One Life with Poetic that, you know, it's nothing wrong with saying something on a record. It's nothing wrong with having a moral to the story. There's nothing wrong with being an insightful artist. You just got to figure out ways to still make it fun. Um, last question for you. Uh, you know, look at all your body of work. Um, is there a a song, maybe, or a lyric that you've written that is kind of you're like, oh shit, I can't believe I created that moment. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, definitely, um, I would say as far as an entire body of work, I have to say Jungle Gym Season 1 mm. because it, it, it became executed exactly how I had it in my mind, and I think it's going to be the catalyst for a different approach for me as an artist in merging potentially some sort of animation or its own film possibly with the hip hop the way that it's constructed from um, panel to panel um, if I had to say one song or lyric I would have to say mm, that would be a toss up between Back from the Dead and 
Um, there's a, another song on, on Lord of the Fly uh, entitled um, Wow My Memory I'm doing so much talking right now <laughs> um, Fit for a King Mm-hmm. Fit for a King There's a record There's a, a song on there Called Fit for a King Which I think kind of Sums up My approach To Hip hop But yet still has A little bit of swag to it You know what I mean So Yeah man I would say those pieces That's so fun I don't know, what can I say? He's, he's the last emperor, and uh, it, it's it's. I've been trying to try to talk to you for a while, and I'm, I really appreciate that you've uh, taken the time to talk on Library Rap. Thank you for interviews with uh, Tim and Kelly. I really appreciate your time. The pleasure's all mine, Tim. Anytime, bro. The next installment, uh, the next full length, full length last emperor project is coming soon, and I, I'm going to. Uh, you, this is the second time I've revealed the title. We're tentatively going to release. At least the first single uh, with a B-side on Halloween. And the title of the album is The Last Emperor Presents The Wizard, The Witch, and The Wolfman. I want to say peace to everybody. Thank you for all the kind supporters over the years. I want to thank you again, Tim, and, uh, you know, just say peace to everyone. The raps that could crack both the arms on clawful. Foes that oppose the result is harmful. Seeing in the many faces, I've startled. And when they fall, the name that they're yelling for, stop stalling, somebody better tell a boy. Jamal Gray, son of Eleanor, I took Castle Grayskull back from Skeletor. Are you wise enough to survive the streets, fam? Well, I'm wise enough to civilize beast, man. That's me, man, the last. I dedicate this to the first, the new master of the universe. I don't need the game, not the fame, nor the fling. I take what I please, I don't need anything. Not a solid gold crown, or a chain, or a ring. Just build me a castle that's built for a king. My kingdom come, my will be done. You can find heaven right here on earth for some. To find Shangri-Las, a search for some. Till the bottomless pit I pick verses from. Like Excalibur was the sword of a king. Leader of the arena, lord of the rings. I write with the might of the merciless Ming. Now bring me an opponent who's fit for a king. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.